Welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we combine two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings, and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I'm one of your co-hosts. My name is Dave Gurney. I'm here with Joe Hilliard. We have a special guest in the studio, folks. Excited. Uh, a new special guest who, who you listeners have never heard on this podcast before. So a very exciting moment. Um, th- this is uh, Dr. Jim Flurry, who, who is joining us from the same institution that I teach at. I've mentioned it a little bit on the podcast in the past, uh, A&M University Corpus Christi here in Texas. Um, Jim's just come to, to join the faculty here, and I was super excited when he said he might have interest in joining us for an episode. So welcome, Jim. Uh, perhaps uh, let our listeners uh, know a little bit about you. Thank you so much for the introduction. I'm, uh, yeah, Jim Fleury. I uh, yeah, teach at Corpus Christi A&M, and I do a lot of research into uh, media franchises, blockbuster films, and video games. So very happy to be talking about our two films tonight. Very cool, yeah. As we- I understand it, David, correct me if I'm wrong, The his performance tonight will be points <laughs> toward the tenure track, correct? Oh, oh please no. Oh, on, shit. on absolutely no <laughs> oh. metric will this ever appear. Oh, for, so the university Jim. doesn't even listen listen to this we can just curse and talk about all kinds of horrible well if they are listening i'm in trouble already so yeah that's i don't know (laughs) but we have you know we've had islander themed beers on this podcast before so they they, i mean there's some listeners out there um well it's always fun to have a new guest on and uh having talked a little bit about films with jim in the past i know it's gonna gonna be a fun conversation tonight um and we have some pretty fun films to talk about or films at least that have fun elements to them sure what we can decide whether or not we really think they're fun um but before we do any of that joe we're gonna drink something the jim brought (laughs) like i'm gonna toss it to you but jim what did you bring us i brought a saint arnold ye old christmas ale Mm. a a beer we couldn't find a description for beyond it being christmas ale yeah I don't know how to describe that exactly, but what did the website call it? Yeah, the the website was saying that it was a rich and malty, although it also said it had a pronounced hop character, um, but it proclaimed that it used five different varieties of malt in the recipe to give it such a rich sort of body. So, and, and it's seven and a half percent alcohol by volume. That's a good percent. It is. That's that's definitely like, you know, winter's coming. It's getting cold. I need something to keep me warm. I mean, maybe this would qualify as a winter warmer beer. I know that's a, a little sub-variant of the style. That, David, there's only one way to find out. Yeah, well, we're, we're going to get some of this in our glasses. Um, and it should be just about perfect. Thank you, Jim, for bringing this. Because as many times as we've had St. Arnold, Joe, you were looking at the... This is our ninth one. Ninth time, but never the Christmas ale. No, we have done the Pumpkinator. That, that ho- we've done that twice, I think, Probably. right? Probably. Yeah. So we're, we're definitely um, we're definitely big fans of St. Arnold's and, and uh, regular supporters of them. But this is fun that we're going to actually get the opportunity to taste their Christmas offering on mic. Very cool. Um, and, and part of the reason why it's so good that we're doing this Christmas ale this week is that, at least with our first film, and we can debate on the second one, uh, there, there's a very clear Christmas tie-in, right? What, what we're going to be talking about in the first half of the episode this week is a film that's just come to theaters uh, in recent days. It is the 2022 release starring David Harbour mm. of Stranger Things mm-hmm. fame. 
Uh, it is called Violent Night. Play on Silent Night, folks, right? So you know you're in the Christmas spirit uh, already. And what we have here is sort of a premise where we have Harbor playing a version of Santa that is very much akin to the Billy Bob Thornton uh, bad Santa as the film begins. We we open in a bar. Okay, Santa in a rut. Yes. Um, Santa lamenting the state of uh, belief among children and kind of drinking his sorrows away, but having to head out. It's Christmas Eve and, and deliver these gifts to the kids who, who were good. You know, there were some good ones out there. And, uh, and, and on his way out, you know, sort of, you know, unceremoniously vomits all over uh, the, the bartender. <laughs> I you, you know, so it just right off the bat showing you this is going to be a very um, skewed and debaucherous version of Santa that right. we're seeing, right? Um, but, but we kind of shift gears pretty quickly away from it just being a pure bad Santa kind of riff to being one that actually places this kind of Santa, this Santa being inhabited by David Harbour, into a tense situation where a family is being held hostage uh, in order to steal their wealth from them, which was stolen wealth to begin with, but we can get into that as it, as it goes on. Um, but the basic idea being that they are trapped in this country estate, surrounded by these uh, armed thugs led by John Leguizamo, who calls himself Scrooge. Um, and he, he's sort of uh, reigning on the parade of their Christmas party that they, they were going to be having together uh, while he's trying to steal this money from them. However, when Santa makes his stop there to leave presents, um, he gets involved in this whole situation, and uh, and and it kind of goes into action movie mode at that point. So that's that's a little primer there. If you've seen the trailer, I think it it lays out the concept pretty clearly, and there's you know not much else that you'd really need to say to kind of get the basic concept. Um, it seems to have resonated pretty well with audiences so far. It had a good opening weekend, I think, around maybe even a little above where the estimates were. And uh, and certainly in the theater that I saw it in, it seemed like people were having a good time. I saw that it was slightly above um, projections for the mm -hmm. studio Universal had uh, released for it, which, you know, they, they lowball these things to make it look more profitable sure, than it was. Because sure. I was reading also it made less than Krampus did uh, back oh, in 2015, which was like the most recent as far as I remember. Um, genre... R-rated, or at least PG-13 rated uh, Christmas movie, Yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so it made less than that, but, you know, there was not, like, celebration at that time for Krampus, but there is celebration over this, maybe just because there's been such, like, a, a dearth of movies doing well at the box office this year. Yeah. So it feels like a success, especially for something that's not a franchise uh, right. movie, right? Um, so, yeah, well, it remains to be seen whether or not there'll be a violent night part two well i was wondering that yeah I mean, and, and maybe we'll, we'll kind of get to that but it, but you're right the, the, there's a game that always goes on with how these things are framed in terms of what their expectations are and what they'll be doing but given the budget of the film it seems to be making enough money that as long as it has a decent couple more weeks before christmas there there's a viable pathway to uh franchise and yeah. looking at the upcoming release schedule there's there's nothing that's going to compete with this specific type of formula uh, no, nothing up. like Does this. Does it seem like it? we're about to get into the oscar -y push, you know, uh, late Christmas, early well, and, January. And I think the next big thing we have Avatar. will be Avatar, right, right. In, in about a week and a half when that Which, I, I, look, at this point with this kind of post-COVID box office, who knows? I expect Avatar to make a ton of money, but I don't know if yeah. it's going to make the money. Anyway. 
We we should talk to Jim after hours about oh, uh, great what idea. his I, thoughts are on I Avatar. I have my doubts as well. Yeah, yeah, I saw the Avatar trailer, a new trailer before this film, and the other trailers I saw before this film in an IMAX theater with four people in it. So I don't think I had the experience of a full crowd whooping and hollering that might have made the film a little more fun. Oh, okay. but uh, it was all Ant Man, um, the du- new Dungeons and Dragons. I saw so that trailer. Fun. So what they're packaging the trailer, the trailer package with for this movie was very franchise oriented. That kind of thing. Did I'm curious though. So it sounds like you you went to the Century. It sounds yeah. like which is where our one IMAX like screen is. Yeah. Um, I went to Alamo Draft House, mm-hmm. yeah. which had a good pre-show for it. And one of the trailers they showed, though, was the Brandon Cronenberg film. Yeah, I noticed that. I was I was not expecting to see before this one, though I was happy to see. Sure. I'm excited. For we all it. loved it, Possessor when right. it came out. Well, that was uh, okay. Good. I'm glad yeah. you're a fan. Yeah, that was definitely one that we we highly regarded. It made our t- end of the year list. Yeah, definitely. And, before yeah. we dive in, I do want to say this is the same production team that brought us Nobody, a film I'm very fond of, and uh, and Bullet Train, uh, which we reviewed earlier this year. Yeah. So you can see they're going for that like high energy, ultra violent kind of action, and uh, a lot of similarities to Nobody. The idea of Santa or 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 Bob Odenkirk's character has a secret past. That we don't exactly know about, and there are flashbacks in this movie to Santa. That might have been the only thing I didn't fully expect going into this. Right, was that there was going to be like a Northman kind of element? Exactly, (laughs) and and, and you see that his, which which I think is underdeveloped. It's it's one of the things that they give you just enough to understand that his violent uh, uh, weapon of choice was a a big hammer. Right, so skull crusher. So there's a payoff for that here in this film. Yeah, but it, it it. it definitely felt like yeah, similar to Nobody, right? It felt yeah, it felt very similar to Nobody in sense that it was uh, definitely dealing with something a concept that it felt like came out of the eighties, like dealing with like a, a vigilante, whether it's a Charles Bronson kind of movie yeah. or a violent vigilante Santa. Um, but this one, yeah, it didn't have the energy I felt like of uh, of Nobody, at least not, yeah. not for me. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll say it up front: Nobody greater than Violent Night. <sighs> if I, I have to compare those two films from the same production team. I, I I agree with that. I agree with that. I mean, I it it seems like uh, I can already tell. I'm sensing where where the I'm reading the tea leaves here. Um, I think I'm probably gonna come up <laughs> surprise surprise. Hey, can you record that and we'll just like cut that into almost every single review that we do. That David Gurney liked it more than most other people in the room. Yeah, I I think this is the one I'm gonna be most positive on it. Although I'm seeing some of these same problems that that I sent you guys are. Um, and I think you know this. Right there, I kind of, in in my little brief summary, talked about how the film opens. And it opens with him very much as a bad Santa-like character, right? I'm going to keep going back to that, that Billy right. Bob Thornton, I, which I think much. is a hilarious yeah. sort of, you know, anti-Christmas Christmas movie. And a film that we considered pairing with this one. Yeah, we did. We talked about that. Um, we'll have to cover it at some point because I, I would love a good excuse to watch it again. It's been years since I've really just sat down and watched the entire thing. But anyhow, we start there. And yet I don't feel like we fully develop that and we jump to him being the action hero and there's not a whole lot of, I mean, he's drunk and vomiting all over himself in the sleigh as he's getting to these houses. In England, headed to America, I suppose. Right, right. And then suddenly when he gets to the house, he sobers up in a second and he's like, you know, k- kicking into high gear with his uh, with his action skills that well, he it's, has there. It's Santa magic and we don't know how it works. 
So, so from that standpoint, I think one of the great strengths of Nobody is that character and Bob Odenkirk and the way that he delivers that performance and that they actually sort of, you know, again, where they start the film, you think he is just an everyday Joe, apologies, but, you know, uh, living his life like every other middle-aged guy out there putting out his trash, you know, and, and it's only as the movie progresses that you start to uncover these layers to his character and they fill in that backstory and it's really about him. Here, I mean, they kind of do try to give Santa a little bit of a backstory, and some films do, but I feel like it's a, just a whisper of a backstory that's really there more as a convenient excuse to give that hammer when, once he does find it in the shed there or where, wherever that structure is that he ends up finding it. Um, like this kind of triumphant, like, oh, it's him, you know, finding this weapon of choice. Well, it's a setup in the payoff with a hammer, right? Yeah. And you wonder... The beginning, of course, sets him up as like the real Santa, right? Like that's like the whole point of that opening right. scene. But at the same time, setting up as like this, um, you know, filthy, debaucherous Santa at the same time. Would it have been effective to have peeled that back as the movie went on, where like he starts off like the genuine Santa, and then it gradually reveals that he's actually like this warrior kind of a character? Yeah. Something. More like the nobody kind of premise right, in right. that way. Yeah. Would that have been more effective? It, I think it might have been, at least for the character. However, this film is also very interested in delivering laughs, I right. think. And, and it's and it's going to try to do things that are just silly and funny in a way that nobody had a little bit of, but I, but I do think nobody leaned much more heavily into action more quickly than this film did. Yeah, let's fill in some blanks. The matriarch of this wealthy, ultra-wealthy 1% family is Beverly D'Angelo. Christmas Vacation, you know. Right, one of the many... Very overt Christmas movie references yeah. that this film is making, and she is uh, the matriarch of a family of buffoons, I guess you might say, or at least one. The the, the daughter and her husband right. and their child are buffoons. Uh, I, these are all new actors to me. I don't know their names. Edie Patterson, who who plays the sister, uh-huh. um, uh huh. <laughs> forgetting our former co-host name, Carlos, and I went on at length about this uh, film, this uh, series, The Righteous Gemstones. And yeah. also Vice Principals, Danny McBride, that whole crew. She's a big part of those. Mm. And so, like, I, I know her pretty well okay. these days. I follow her on Instagram. She, uh, <laughs> big fan. Beverly, She's great. She's hilarious. Beverly D'Angelo also has a son uh, who is estranged to his wife. And they have a child together who is kind of the heart of the film. Absolutely. Uh, played by Leah Brady, precocious, spunky, cute, heart, you know, uh, delivers lines about... All I want for Christmas is my family to get back together. You know, that kind of right. thing. Uh, John Leguizamo, as you say, is the head of this mercenary team. They're joined later by a team that Beverly D'Angelo, I guess, the family had put together to get them out of crises. But it turns out that one of them is, or they have all turned uh, so that they can get this $300 million cash payday that's in a vault in the basement of their of their home. Um, it's a lot of, that's a lot of scratch. Uh, <laughs> but the team itself is... The team that John Leguizamo comes in with initially are, you know, they're all code-named Christmas things, peppermint, candy cane, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I don't know. At some point, at some point, you know, I'm going to have to say, I'll say it now. I, I didn't care for this film very much. I mean, oh. I didn't care for this film very much. There were moments, and I'll talk about every single one of them when we get around to them, yeah. that I did like, enjoy, laughed when appropriately, winced and turned away from the screen a couple of times uh, with some of the, you know, my thing about like puncture, yeah. uh, punch stabbing, but showing it. 
there's a one well, well I'll, yeah, I'll just do it now where uh, the little girl gets separated from her family and uh, we already learned that she had just watched home alone and she says <laughs> to Santa via a walkie-talkie that she's conveni- conveniently given that Santa gets another walkie-talkie conveniently and uh, uh, should I do some home alone booby traps yes you should and then that payoff one of them is a nail stuck through the step of an attic ladder and a guy that's pursuing so her. So easy to see. Come on, kid. Are you an amateur? Yeah, Come I'm on. not going to yeah. fall for this. But yeah. when she doesn't realize that she had sawed the uh, higher up rung in half and he falls down, that thing goes right through the bottom <laughs> of his jaw. Uh, and I was like, oh, God, no. And it just shows it and shows it and shows it. He's got to yeah. pull himself off of it. It reminded me of... Um, uh, ready or not. Remember when she gets oh, her hand yeah. on that, 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 that nail when yeah. she's trying to get out of that pit. I don't, uh, that puncture stuff bothers me. And there's a lot of that kind of puncture stuff. I close think there's up, a similar tone graphic. between those films too. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, a lot of those parts when the violence gets going, I'm into this film a little bit, but when the violence stops and it goes back to the family that I just don't care about, I'm taking out. It was of the excruciating. Film it was tonally such a shift. It felt like watching a Hallmark movie at times. Yeah, yeah. Combined with a hyper violent uh, action movie. Right. And it was all the Hallmark bits that I couldn't stand. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it was just the, sorry to say, the strength of the casting for the family was just not there to the yeah. same extent as it was for the. Um, right. Obviously, the robbers had all the best. Uh, Lines, sure, I thought, for right? sure. Most that, colorful that's where characters. I was headed with my kind of. I don't know these actors. I'm not engaged with these actors. I don't care about the family melodrama at all. Right. And so when that, those are pivotal pieces of the plot to drive forward the idea that the son, it turns out, eventually has pre-stolen the money, which makes no sense. <laughs> which which could not have occurred. Yeah. To yeah. get into duffel bags hidden in a manger scene, a nativity scene, it didn't make sense. Yeah, and I know this is when David says, "Jim, this is when David says you can't." We're talking about Santa Claus here. You can't talk about the rules. I can talk about the rules because there's human rules, and then there's Santa's <laughs> rules. And Santa magic. never breaks his rules, but the human rules, the universe they've created, is stupid. Yeah, it was a, it was it was stupid. And plus, are we supposed to root for these like hyper rich one percent? Like, it's well, supposed to be the wealthiest uh, state is, in the country. That's right? that's my bigger problem, right? I I get the logistical stuff that, and and it it struck me as soon as they opened the vault and there's like bills on the floor. I'm like, you've gone through a plan to take all the $300 million out of a space and put it into some hiding place. And you're, but somehow so careless that you're just leaving bills on the floor. Right, all like the do. lids to the containers yeah. are open. One yeah. of them is so that no, when that no. opening shot comes in, we can say, uh-oh, yeah, look, this is done for a the, film. The logistics don't make a lot of sense there. But I think to me, the thing that really feels like a missed opportunity with the whole family subplot thing. Mm-hmm. His, what if the Knives Out family had been those people yes, instead? Much, well, but this yeah. is the thing. It's like that it level fe- of character act. It felt like it was building this to be some sort of social satire, right? It's clearly setting up these characters as being ultra wealthy by illicit means, right? This is money that she has um, uh, embezzled, essentially, um, taken away from foreign aid money that was supposed to be going out. And it, like, so, you know, it's terribly unjustified. Didn't even need to be well, said. 
just we have cash, we have that right, kind of level right. Of cash but I'm saying, like, once you've built it up that way, I felt like okay, there's going to be some kind of Redemption. like come up and set the end where this family's wealth gets taken and put into something positive or something, or like Santa's able to redistribute the wealth, and we have like Bernie Claus at the end, and the you know, slight whatever. It, that didn't happen. It was just, no, this is just a setup of the greedy family. And apparently it's okay to just res- keep that Ill- illicitly gotten money with them and they can live happily ever after with it. And that's- <laughs> But then the son burns $500,000 and we're supposed to feel good about that. This family that probably has well, 500 that, million. Was that like a little like, oh, hey, look, we're making them give up. <laughs> yeah, it was supposed to be like, <laughs> all know, I, I think you're right, but it Santa's felt like such die. a dumb. Oh, it was, de- it was. Santa's going to die if we don't make a fire right now. The only thing we have to burn is uh, the, the paper bills, right. uh, the cash. But but only a tiny fraction of it. <laughs> <We're> uh, gonna- <laughs> yeah. And, 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 <laughs> I, I agree. If, if so, you know, I'm not going to try to defend the writing here in terms of... And it is the writing. The, the family they put. Now, I think they did a fine job with the girl casting yeah, a, a sure. good young actor. I agree. Um, I thought David gi- Harbour was the perfect Giving her nice Great. lines that worked well. Her rapport with Santa over the walkie-talkies, as contrived as that is... It's a contrivance borrowed from another great Christmas movie, Die Hard. Mm-hmm. We'll be talking about in the second half of the episode. <laughs> um, that uh, you know, I I get it. I like that. I like that they were having that, and they could kind of be um, the buddy team in in this film, essentially at a certain point. I agree with, with what you said, Joe. That I think Harbor does a great job with not even necessarily the greatest of material. I mean, there's a basic concept there, but I think he's just really good at pulling it off, and mm-hmm. it kept me even with those. Like I said, Santa starts in one place that I feel like he jumps from too quickly, but I was willing to go there with him in part because I think David Harbour sold me on it. Yeah. And Leguizamo, I thought, as the uh, the thief was yeah. great. I mean, he brought so much to— Disagree. Uh, rel- you did not like him. No. Okay, let's hear it. I just thought—I think it was the material more than anything yeah. else. Uh, there was a lot of times that the villains just acted dumb. And they weren't presented to be like a Three Stooges type of villains. They were presented to being these elite Well, mer- until they were. Like, I mean, the Home Alone sequence was definitely, I mean, th- that was treating them pretty yeah, much the, like but Pesci the wet, and but the Stern. wet bandits, what were they called yeah, the, in yeah, Home Alone? What were they yeah. called? Oh. The wet bandits. Was and then it? the sticky bandits. The, the yeah. wet bandits were buffoons right. at the beginning. Right. So that, 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 that this kid could overwhelm buffoons Well, we don't really get to know them until that sequence. I'm not saying... The, the only... That was just a gore setup. I mean, those the sequences were just a gore and violence setup. Home Alone taken sure. to a level although, where well, we... Although, but he has the hubris and the like, oh, I can see through these. You have to do better than this. We're not... You know what I mean? And then he starts hitting it. Like, that That was enough of a setup oh, where I then, felt like it. he was a buffoon. Then he pulls the nail out and looks at it. But yeah. he doesn't look at it like I or the three of us would look at <laughs> right. the nail. He right. decides he needs to hold it up to the light, point the point toward his oh, head, yeah. and well, look at it. And we know that he's, at that point he's a clown. We yeah. know that bowling balls are rolling around upstairs and they're going to come out of the attic at any moment. And guess what happens? And that's when that's when I looked away. It's like I I, I can't take it through the head. Yeah. But maybe set him up more as like a threat versus being these like idiotic characters. I guess maybe that was part of it. I hear Where you. they start off kind of threatening, right? That nutcracker scene, where they're gonna bu- was it the um, the the son right? They were gonna put his uh, put his nuts in there right, and then yeah. that was pretty terrifying. <laughs> Didn't go far. I mean, that was 
Right, because you, you see a finger get cr crunched right. down. And, on a small and, you're, and you're thinking maybe we are going to see a human testicle or some approximation of one slipped into this thing. I mean, that's the thing. Like, this movie gets graphic enough where the threat of that seemed real. Sure. Like, I was, I was wincing and looking away from the screen. I don't particularly, you know, puncture I don't love, but start playing with those old testes and I don't want to see that. That that's 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 a sensitive spot, you know. Um it, so I think that there's some funny things that this film kind of gets away with or or plants in because it goes far enough at times that you could believe it could go even further. And it, and it occasionally pulls back a little, although some of those action scenes are pretty damn brutal. I mean, his that that sequence in the shed that I was referring to earlier, where he you know finds the hammer uh, and and starts using it as his weapon, he's just a beast and yeah. <laughs> you know take and they're not up. afraid to show knees cracking in right. in directions that they're not supposed to right. and uh, uh, I especially enjoyed the two guys that get strong into the snowblower that has yeah. that the, those augers in it and you oh can tell God. exactly what's going to happen yeah. That's the John Wick level, the nobody level that I tend to enjoy. It's and it's it's almost cartoonish, but just enough realism to where we can like, oh, they did it, you know, oh, yeah. just a gorehound kind of like satiation there. But there's a lot to have to wade through to get to those fun moments. And I wanted more of those fun moments, right? I wanted more of those moments with like the star in the eye and like it, like blowing, like burning the guy's face <laughs> up. Like that is hilarious. Yeah. No, the I, John Leguizamo kind of toward the beginning of Santa going off, and when yeah. he plugged in that light, oh, yeah. brilliant. And then his head caught on fire, yeah. and it's kept burning in the frame. <laughs> and he's like on the walkie-talkie, yes. like talking to the girl, like this like sweet little girl, like while the guy's face is like smoldering. That's right. That's right. But it needed more of that. It, you, I think you're. I think you're both right. I, but but it sounds like we all agree that the action in this film is done well. Like there's good fight choreography going on. It r relatively good editing, cinematography. Like th these are good action sequences. These are film. Uh, these are you know sort of film segments that I think would work almost in anything. If you didn't have a guy in a red suit, it would still work really well. It isn't just the comedy of Santa doing it. They when they do. The action scenes, I mean, he could be Charles Bronson, you know, Bruce Willis, Arnold Schwarzenegger. It doesn't matter. He He's just being an action hero at that point. Um, it's it's more in the dialogue and the set setup of these things that sort of the Santa persona becomes more important. And I think, you know, some of that works well. Like I said, the rapport with the young girl, the, them becoming this kind of buddy team that are going to, you know, in coordination, be able to outwit the bandits that you know that these people are trying to steal this money. I think that all works pretty well. It, but it does, you know, especially as um, I reflect back on it. When I was watching the film, I was entertained enough. I'll put it that way, right? Like there, I wasn't sitting there thinking this is garbage. I wasn't sitting there thinking, you know, when is this going to be over? I was enjoying the ride of it and and, and all that. Now there were, I think. The times where we spent more um, screen time in that, you know, sort of, you know, sitting room where they were kind of trapped were the least interesting parts. But they were relatively fleeting. They didn't do a ton there. Um, but that begs the question, why couldn't they have just done something a little more potent there? Why couldn't they have actually had a better scenario for the family that's being attacked. And it spent too much time even setting up that family because they proved so uh, inconsequential. Like it starts off with that moment where like the son's getting picked up by his uh, his wife and daughter 
and then it spends an inordinately long amount of time with them yeah. setting all this up. And I just wanted more to happen. And yeah, you're right. These moments were fleeting and it was almost like weird how fleeting they were. Yeah. But every time they went back, it was just, it bogged the movie down. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. <laughs> well said. Yeah. Well, you, you know, I, I, you know, again, I think I was the most entertained by this. I don't know if this is quite the anti-Christmas classic that I that I think maybe the studio is hoping it's going to be, or that or that maybe the filmmakers here would would want it to be. Um, but I could see myself watching this again in the future if it was on cable. Well, I don't have cable anymore. If it was on a streaming platform, <laughs> what am I saying? If it's on a streaming platform and I'm looking for that kind of anti-Christmas programming around the holidays, it's nice to have a balance, right? I mean, maybe we can talk about that uh, a little bit later too. Like, I like some Christmas movies, but when you go too far and you go too hard, I, I, I get burnt out very quickly. Like I can do a viewing of a Christmas story each Christmas season and that's good. But if I start seeing it a second time or another film kind of like in its footsteps, it's, it's a little too much. So it's nice to have these kind of anti-holiday movies that help cleanse the palate between them but are still seasonally appropriate maybe like a christmas story part two that's coming out in a couple weeks right i have i i have not uh, seen the trailer but i know exactly what you're talking about right they've brought back most of the cast and the ones who agreed to come back okay yeah <laughs> but the, but the main kid ralphie's back yeah i think it's a couple of the kids yeah the yeah. ones who aren't really working anymore <laughs> Uh, are any of them working at this? I think point? Ralph, Bill, the what Peter Billingsley. I think he was uh, he was in Spider Man. Okay, but he's but he's coming back. Yeah, he, so he, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear what you're saying. <laughs> but it like makes it begs the question of when the last like cla- I, that word classic. I like it's interesting how it's being thrown around by like the studio and critics for a yeah. movie that just came out days ago. Right. Um, w- the last one, the last anti Christmas classic. Would we say what was it? Krampus. I just came around on that I've one. I've never seen Krampus. So was, I think it was about a year ago. I think Carlos kind of mm-hmm. challenged me on it because he had been saying for years, that, yeah, it's great. You got to check it out. And I finally, last Christmas season, watched it one Same night here. with air. And yes, I agree. It was a great, be, better than this film, yeah. um, anti-Christmas, Christmas movie, a lot of fun, enjoyed it greatly, and I'll probably watch it again this year. So it, to me, it's already becoming a classic. So I think for for those who are willing to go kind of into that horror realm to a certain extent, I think you're right that that probably is the most recent classic, new classic Christmas film. Um, though I did want to note, and I just saw this this afternoon when I was kind of trying to read up on on a little bit of the production on this. There was a Mel Gibson film two years ago called oh, Fat it. Man. You saw it. It was very similar to. I mean, I was gonna say it. The premise sounds almost identical. It's it's a Santa probably lower forced, budget. This was yeah. filmed in Winnipeg. That was probably filmed in like Croatia or something. Okay. I don't think it was definitely. It did not even have the budget of this. It was fine. It was a lot more. It wasn't as silly for a movie we, called the, Fat Man. I think Mel the Gibson. concept there though, there is like an assassin sent to Santa because That's of a naughty right. list child or something. Somebody who was on the naughty list gets angry and they send an assassin after yeah. Santa. It was one of those like late night viewings during hol- like Christmas break and uh-huh. I had probably a couple beers in at that point. Okay. So I don't remember I, too I well. Wanna, I want to point out one more kill. Just Okay, yeah. Santa doesn't have many magical powers in this film. He's got the reindeer in the And sleigh. one that doesn't work very well because he's right. trying to get up the chimney. He's got a magical scroll that will tell anyone around him is naughty or nice. 
Uh, he's very got, convenient. Clearly got fighting abilities from a previous life that we get a glimpse of. But he also can tap the side of his nose, just like the classic was the night before Christmas, and go whoosh, up through the chimney. Turns into like a gold powdery lit up dust. Right. You know, get from the roof down. Uh, at the end, the, this big spoiler here, he dispatches John Leguizamo by holding on to him, touching his nose. He goes through the chimney like dust. Because he's got Christmas magic. But John Leguizamo goes through the chimney as a human <laughs> and only comes up with like the torso. The torso like the part only. Of his body. Yeah, and yeah. a huge fountain of blood coming up through yeah. the chimney. I enjoyed that. I loved it. Yeah, it was yeah, that 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 was a pretty great little set piece little there. I, I mean, I saw it like as it was happening. I'm like, oh, they're gonna do it, and they did it, and mm-hmm. it was a beautiful moment where mm-hmm. it just felt like, yes, you you had that was worth it. The setup throughout the you know most of the film where he was not able to get up the chimney because his magic wasn't strong enough, and then to have the belief allow him to kill this man. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but then for every great scene like that, then you have another scene where it's like, Oh, I stepped in reindeer shit. Which one of it, which one of you was it? And it's like reindeer shit, bro. And you should know that by now you've been doing this for 1100 years. Yeah. 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 They, they, yeah. That was a weird one. The obsession with, and they kept going back to it. Yeah, they did. You're right. You're right. Well, I, I, yeah, I, it, it feels like a film that was trying to do so many things, right? It's Agreed. taking, it's pulling from all these other Christmas films. We've already noted, you know, Home Alone is a big, mm-hmm. it Hard. gets referenced directly. Die Hard gets mm-hmm. brought up in the dialogue. The, the, the scene is remarkably similar to Die, the, the plot is remarkably yeah. similar to Die Hard. Oh, sure. I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time while a group of mercenaries is coming in to steal a big load of money from a vault that's, that's going right. to be difficult to break into, so we... But then, like the but the, the, they're doing that on purpose. I think it's all like a nice little wink to the audience for these other movies that you love so much. And even Die Hard Two with like the extract the special ops team coming in mm. to help out, right? And they end up being You're right on right, the, that, on the sleds. Yeah, right, absolutely. Right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. So I mean, it, it's trying to pack all this in, and again, the bad Santa element. Mm-hmm. I think the you know this die, and I think it just it reaches too far. I think that if you could have brought this in made it a little tighter i think david harbour did a great job with what he had but if you hadn't bogged him down with the kind of alcoholic santa stuff at the beginning because it wasn't necessary you don't need to know you he could be sad about the level of belief and, and he could world. stop in and, and talk about his that's problems a, over that's a, a couple santa of beers. trope that's yeah. a santa trope right i mean what was it ed asner and elf yes Ooh, yeah um, you know, he's like struggling with there isn't enough belief out there. This is something we've seen in films. You don't need to make him an alcoholic despondent Santa mm-hmm. to to sort of get us to a place where we wouldn't expect him to be an action hero. Because, I mean, Santa shouldn't be an action hero normally. We're already kind of surprised by that enough. So and I feel like they just tried too much. Yeah. And then when the family starts doing the Charleston on top of the pool that's oh, oh, the, on the, on the, when, the pool, when the pool's <laughs> opening up... You've gone too far. Buffalo gals, won't you come? Yeah, right? Yeah. Just It's the whole gamut. It's oh, the whole I gamut. don't have your money here. Your, your money's <laughs> That'll be the sequel. It'll it'll probably be like a huge rip on It's a, a Wonderful run. Life. It'll, yeah. They'll do the prequel. It'll be the sort of Northman mm-hmm. meets uh, It's a Wonderful Life, and we'll all love it. I mean, it'll... It, it'll they'll they'll dial it in and make that. it work. Probably not Tommy Workola. Um, here, who's mostly known for the, the director here? Uh, what, what's it? De- the zombie? Um, oh shoot! I don't know. Okay, well, I, I looked up his filmography today, but I wasn't familiar with many of the films. Dead Snow. Sorry, and there was a sequel to that one, Dead Snow Two. I've seen the original. I don't think I saw the the sequel. Um, he also did that twisted version of Hansel and Gretel. 
which right, I didn't I see. Right, I saw that with uh, Charlie's Theron and wasn't it? And was that, um, uh, that one had one? the guy from uh, Dead Walking. Jeremy Renner Jeremy actually. Renner, yeah, Jeremy yeah Renner. but but not uh, no no it was Gemma Gemma Arterton from Quantum of Solace. Yeah. 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 This is falling apart, David. Yeah, please. well, okay, but but, but all I'm saying, whole, I don't know who would the direct the thing other in one. this movie that I thought was actually kind of funny was like how, yeah, Santa being an alcoholic, or whatever, but being more like upset with the kind of gifts kids want, how they feel like unimaginative. That was funny. Right? Well, it was like funny. Yeah, Brit, like wanting just video games, and he reaches no, into cash, a, cash, 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 yeah, video, video games. games. Yeah, that yeah. was good. Yeah, like that was they needed more of that, and like his whole like. What, what he's lost belief in. There was like one moment where he goes into a house and he's just sees nothing like Amazon packages by the tree, right? right Not right. even wrapped, right? right? Just in their, right. their boxes still. It needed more of that, yeah. I think, right? Like the satirical stuff with the family, like the wealthy family, satirical stuff with the Christmas yeah. um, spirit or whatever. More of that, please. Yeah. Less yeah. of the, you know, celebrating the rich family and, yeah. and all of that. We, I agree. We've given all four of our kids cash for Christmas the last three or four years mm-hmm. it's 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 what they want <laughs> it is so easy to do it's what plants crave you'd never make a mistake as far mm-hmm. as buying something that's the wrong size something they don't really like and um this movie's making me rethink it <laughs> <laughs> well look at that it got through to you joe when I, th- I thought you were a hopeless case um well okay so so it seems like a all of us a bit disappointed me still saying you sure. know if you're looking for something it's a new classic According to David, David Gray. I would not say that. But if you're looking for something fun and enjoyable that's going to be outside the quote-unquote norm of Christmas holiday fair, I think that this, this will scratch that itch. If you're a fan of action and somewhat gory action, I think there'll be enough there that you won't feel like you've wasted your money. But don't go there expecting rich family drama that's going to pull you in. Or even great social satire like we've been seeing with The Menu and Triangle of Sadness. Go go to those films if you want the dark comedy social satire stuff. So, uh, You know, the, the one big consolation here in, in discussing this film with you guys is that Jim brought these bottles of St. Arnold uh, Ye Old Christmas Ale for I'm not, us. I'm not saying a word, David. Um, During your beer segue. <laughs> Thank you. Well done, Joe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I learned my <laughs> But what I'll say about this beer is that it is not my first time drinking it, right? Mm-hmm. I, I mentioned this is our first time on mic drinking this beer. This is one that I feel like every Christmas season since I've lived in Texas, which is now, I guess I'm in my 13th Christmas season living in Texas, I will always find my way to pick up a six the pack. shelves to pick up a six pack of this. There's this. There's a couple others. The Sierra Nevada Celebration. Yeah, we've done that. On um, the show. Th- those are the sort of Christmas beers that I go to. And drinking this with you guys right now, this is the first one I've had this year. Instant reminder of why that is, because this is a solid winter warmer. I think that's the right style here. Th- this is a rich, multi. There is a hot quality there i mean there's a bitterness kind of in the background but it's a much sort of sweeter richer kind of multi-base there that i mean it is so lovely and drinkable i can imagine being at any sort of holiday gathering and drinking this alongside my friend with the eggnog and, and my other friend with the wassail or the you know mold wine and i'm and i'm just as much in a holiday mood as they are because this is such a fantastic christmas time beverage 
Thank you, Jim, for bringing it. What, but it'll put I got to hear what you think. I, I mean, gotta... it puts you in the holiday mood with that 7.5%. <laughs> That's right. I mean, how bad of a movie could it be? If it... <laughs> All of a sudden, fucking incredible. They, they talk about the five different kinds of malts for a reason. The malt bill is the star of this show. You're right. There's some hop character there, but this is all about the malt. I'm curious, though, what makes this Christmas besides it being released at the time of year? Because there's not really a, a heavy spice element. No, there is. But I'm glad about that. I, oh, the, I, the other, you can get that wrong real easy. The other main Christmas beer that I'm primary Christmas beer, not one for Maine, um, that I'm mentioning there, Sierra Nevada Celebration, is actually a wet hop IPA. I mean, it's it's nothing spiced. It's mm-hmm. nothing that sort of brings in. A, I don't need the beer to though. I mean. I can deal. We've we've talked about pumpkin beers. We've done some pumpkin pumpkin beers. I can do the pumpkin spice in certain settings, especially a stout, a darker ale. I'll do it, um, but I don't need it. It's not something I crave. And with Christmas, it isn't either. I just I like it that it's a special brew that they only do at Christmas time. Um, it is a bit heartier, so I think it, it kind of fits the idea of like colder temperatures. But you're not finding a nutmeg. You're not finding no, a, or a clove a, right. or a cinnamon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now that, I, I, that, that can work. It, it can work, but it can go really wrong, it really can. easy. Uh, before we move into the break, I did want to mention up top, and I failed to, that you and I attended the uh, Stuff South Texas Underground Film Festival uh, together, actually, yeah, we, we uh, earlier this week. Yeah. And uh, we'll definitely talk about that in after hours. So if you came this week looking for a little bit of that talk and what our thoughts were of this year's festival, the portion yeah. that we saw Definitely check us out on uh, in after fact, hours. In fact, I'll make this pledge. Our, normally, our Patreon subscribers are the ones who, who listen to those mm-hmm. uh, most easily. I will make this one public so that nice. uh, anybody yeah. who's who's listening and curious what we maybe thought about yeah. some of the, And did you make it to a screening for South Texas Underground or not? Yes. Okay, oh, so, so we'll all have some stuff to share. It's a Christmas miracle. <laughs> well, it's patreon.com slash beer in a movie podcast. <laughs> and it's free this week, so come enjoy. Yeah. Uh, well, we have a lot more for you in the main episode, though, because when we get back, we will be talking about, I've already said, a film that has some controversy around it in terms of whether it fits in this holiday season or not. This is us diving into that debate of is Die Hard a Christmas movie when we get back. That's you know that's the way to do it. Don't go big, just go mellifluous. Sure. You know, go go for, go for something sonorous. Yeah, we are back. Jim, <laughs> thank you again for being here. I enjoyed thank you. our first half so much. You're contributing so much, beer wise, conversation wise. That tenure is going to work out, I think, just fine. <laughs> yeah, but it's time to just repeat what we did with a different beer and a different movie. David, I am very excited about the beer you brought to the table. Yeah, this is this is a beer that I have actually been sitting on for. I, hate that term I'm sorry but the, uh, that I have been holding on to for a while waiting for the right time uh, when I was up in Dallas geez months ago now I stopped by Turning Point Beer um, they're in the DFW area they're in Bedford Texas which I had never spent time in before I just stopped there briefly to get this I wish I could have stayed it seemed like a great place I believe that we had one of their beers on the show already. I'd have to look at the spreadsheet to confirm that. But nonetheless, this was one that I held on to and I felt comfortable doing that with because it is a 
heftier beer. It is 11.3% alcohol by volume. So we've even gone up from where we were in the first half, Jim. This is deadly. Yeah. It, it, let's hope not. We're going to share cans here. We're not, we're not uh, going to go too far down that path ourselves. But, um, but nonetheless, not to be trifled with, this is what they call Hoth chocolate. Okay. Too bad we weren't doing a Star Wars film and there's really no great Star Wars connection here. But nonetheless, hot chocolate seems to have enough of a seasonal tie-in that it's worth doing. This is what they call a hot chocolate-inspired imperial pastry stout. So I don't know a whole lot more about it other than that. I haven't had this one yet. This is, like I said, cans I brought back with me, hoping that we'd have an opportunity to do this. Finally, the cool weather, kind of cool here, arrives. Uh, we're, we're doing seasonal films, winter films. What, what better thing to do than to drink some hot chocolate? Oft-used phrase. <laughs> it's an active one. Both of you guys have struggled, which, I, you know. Yeah, it's that's, frothy. Yeah, it, it's a lively beer. So that that probably speaks to there being some live yeast in there. Oft Still working away at some of those sugars uh, from the malt. So let, let's hope it doesn't turn into something different than what they intended when they bottled it or canned it. We say so often, it pours like motor oil, but... Damn, this thing pours like motor oil. <laughs> <laughs> and you're right. Sl pour it slowly, David. You watched uh, the two of us fail miserably with uh, a right. big froth and on. Well, I think you took. I think you took the heavy carbonation right at the beginning. So, I, I appreciate that, guys. Thanks right, for taking the bullet. Stick for your me. nose in this. Are you? Yeah. Are you smelling hot chocolate immediately? To be honest, no. Me neither. No. Now I'm a little concerned. <laughs> I'm just with the activity level of it. I'm worried that maybe there might be a little something going on in there that a uh, little infection. We'll, we'll have to take. Hey, I, sh I shouldn't speak in those terms until I've tasted it, but I'm getting, I mean, if anything, almost like a slightly metallic nose. Do you get that at yeah, all? Yeah, metallic feet. <laughs> I'm not wearing shoes. That might be me. Sorry. Uh, but, but the metallic isn't me. Uh, wow. Okay. Well, this this is uh, I don't know we're we're treading into some controversial territory as it is, um, as I set us up in the, the you know the end of the first half, um, we're going to be talking about a film that a lot of people are going to be angry just to see this put together with a film that is so clearly a Christmas film, right? Yeah, we posted on our Discord today, and we welcome you to go over there and join it. It's a lot of fun. Uh, a little coming soon with the lineup tonight. We're doing Die Hard. Uh, and uh, a couple of the peanut gallery uh, a missed opportunity to pair two violent Santas with a poster of Silent Night, Deadly Night. Good, uh, good recommendation. In fact, the Alamo Drafthouse showed the trailer for that yeah. uh, b before this, and, okay. and, and it worked well. I mean, I, I think that could have been a good pairing. Or the new one from Joe Begos, Christmas Bloody Christmas. Hey, look, you know, how often can you do uh, a, I mean, like I said in the first half, the plot here borrows so heavily from Die Hard that it turned out, without knowing that exactly, that this was really a perfect pairing, in my opinion. Here is my plot synopsis. We're doing Die Hard. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what Die Hard is? I saw, That's what we're talking about. I saw Die Hard opening weekend when it came out. No I, not, way. Yeah, well, did. you're a little bit older. I okay, am a little yeah. bit older. I saw it, a double, double feature. The first movie I saw that day was Rambo 3. <laughs> which was a wow carryover on a because Rambo Rambo two 
or I, I well, guess Rambo was Rambo three was eighty eight, but it was earlier in the year, year, I think, right? I saw I saw them on the same day. Th- okay, yeah, and again, uh, we were talking Maybe about the release held over. Yeah, it the and also yeah. I think we were still in that era of things maybe not trickling in. We did not have in Corpus Christi when I was growing up a stadium theater. There were six screens. The biggest right. theater in town was six screens. So it could have been a holdover. I can't remember, but we saw Rambo three, and it was such a striking, more of the same movie. Yeah. Because Schwarzenegger was going strong, and uh, I think Total, uh, Stallone, Total yeah, Recall. Yeah. Uh, Stallone was doing his thing, heavily jacked, no shirt on, a lot of machine guns, a lot of explosions. And Rambo 3 was fine. Mm. And then I saw Die Hard, the same movie. Yeah. And I said same to day. myself that day, that's th- thank you, the same day. I said to myself that day, Holy shit! I didn't know an action movie could be like this. I didn't know that this, that, you know, that this could be what action is. It is a game changer. It is maybe my favorite action movie of all time. But kind of depending on the temperature outside, Raiders of the Lost Ark will will compete with it for uh-huh. that for that title. So I, you know, that all the cards on the table. Someone on Discord said die mid, and I was like, "Fuck you! You were a liar." It's not. <laughs> You are I'm not a liar. You are just incorrect. If you I missed that, that one. This is a mid movie. It isn't mid at all. It is a defining, cinema changing, action movie changing film for the ages. And is it a Christmas movie? Of course. Now I have a machine gun. Ho ho ho! And you've got a Santa hat on at a Christmas party. Ho ho! Christmas party at Nagataki. <sighs> Do we, do we need to synopsize it? John McClane, a detective from L.A., is visiting his estranged wife, who now works for the Nagataki. Am I saying this correctly? Uh, no. Nagatomi. Nagatomi, Nagatomi Plaza. Uh, corporation at their state-of-the-art skyscraper facility in L.A. Or Still under construction. Tall building in L.A. When a group of ruthless mercenaries, led by a star-making turn by Alan Rickman, uh, comes in to steal some U.S. Treasury bonds that are in the vault. But to get through that vault, we have seven different layers and um, electromechanical blah, 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 blah. And once I get through these, we have better hope for a miracle. I brought you a miracle, the FBI. It's kind of a Schwarzenegger take on Alan Rickman. I got there eventually. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've got the inept uh, police captain on the street. You've got the... Um, not captain, the commander of the, the of the unit. I can't remember the actor's name. You've got the sidekick via walkie-talkie, played by the father from Family Matters. You've got uh, the FBI that Reginald comes in. Reginald Bell Johnson. Yeah, Robert Davi and uh, I can't remember the two Johnsons. Then you've got the fucking amazing Alan Rickman who gives a performance for the ages. And, uh, I mean, you've got under construction buildings where people can hide and find weapons and hide weapons. And it's fantastic. I, I I never looked at an elevator shaft the same way after seeing this film. Uh, th- unlike you, Joe, I did not get to go see this in the theater when it came out. This was a little too advanced for me. I was only I hadn't quite turned ten when this came out. Um, I certainly was seeing stuff. That I, I think I've mentioned on the show that my dad was fairly unrestricted when it came to watching horror and action and and whatever at a young age but he didn't necessarily take me out for opening weekend on these things and this was not one that i saw but i do very clearly remember seeing a television review of this and it wasn't uh it wasn't uh siskel and ebert although i did watch siskel and ebert a lot when i was younger 
it was uh, somebody who was doing it. It might have been Gene Shallot. It was somebody who was doing it for one of the news programs um, on morning TV. And they were going nuts over what a great combination of action and comedy and how Bruce Willis was this new kind of like action hero that isn't all about muscles, but like also about like ability to deliver lines and, and perform in a certain way. So I kind of had it built up in my head before I ever saw this film that it was some kind of great new version of an action film. And by the time I saw it, it certainly delivered on that. And it gave me all those classic lines, many of which you kind of referenced as you were talking about it. Um, chock, still chock full of those kind of catchphrases. Um, but with that kind of Bruce Willis charm, which I will admit is not universal. I know there are people who are very turned off by the very premise of Bruce Willis, who he is. He can come off as smarmy. He can come off as kind of, uh, and, and the more I've learned about him as, as, you know, sadly, the situation he's in now, apart from that, but more about how he treated other collaborators on set and, and stuff over the years, um, has made me feel like, okay, maybe he's not as charming as I used to think. But when I was young and when he first came on the scene, I guess I watched a little moonlighting. I saw like, I thought he was as funny and sort of charming and debonair as you could be in the late 80s. I mean, he, he certainly was, was as close an approximation to like a Sinatra Rat Pack kind of thing. I mean, he even had an album. He was trying to be a singer. Bruno. Well, Sinatra was Return the original actor who was supposed to be in Die Hard. Is that right? Because it was originally say, written. Say it again. I'm sorry. Yeah. Sinatra was supposed to be in Die Hard. That was like, it was based on a novel from, I want to say the 70s, and it was okay. originally being developed for Sinatra at the time. Wow. Interesting. And I think he may have gotten paid by 20th Century Fox at the time to not make the movie or something, but there's something there about Sinatra being an early. Wow. Early well, that makes sense. I mean, you need it's got like an oceans feel, and in, in the term, in the sense that the guy has to be very able to pull these things off. He's a he's a working class schlub. It's a, he's a police officer, so it's not like he's debonair in the sense that he's like upper crust. But he's got a great turn of phrase when he needs to. He's got the exact right, you know, just sort of a way of delivering a line. It's yeah, very but, but outside of his police training, which comes in to help him, he's an everyman kind of guy. Yeah. You know, I mean, from the beginning. Okay, starting with the script. The script, I've seen this movie so many times that I can now see all of the tricks that the script does. But it's all set up. What did you say earlier? Set up and payoff. Set up, payoff, set up, payoff, the whole thing. You know what you can do to get rid of this uh, jet lag is uh, curl, take off your shoes and curl your toes. They just needed an excuse to get him to take off his shoes. Yeah. Because he is shoeless in the film. Uh, that sets up another payoff. Shoot the glass. It sets, you know, it, it creating the idea. And I remember as a, when I saw it as a younger man, when he is crawling in with blood streaming out of oh, his yeah. feet, you feel this idea that, that the whole world in this instance is against him. And I frankly don't know if he's going to be able to pull this off. Even now, even when you watch it the 500th time. Well, I kind of know. <laughs> and, but I'm talking about that first viewing. Like yeah, I'm yeah, seeing, yeah. you don't see Schwarzenegger get hurt. You know, you know, you know, Stallone. I think, yeah, maybe I think not. Uh, an arrow went into Stallone on Rambo three that day, and he pulled it out. I remember a scene where he's walking toward the camera, and you see a little bit of sunlight through the hole that has been oh, made, nice. which makes no fucking sense. <laughs> but, okay. uh, but you don't see your uh, your your hero have this level of odds. 
But I mean, there was earlier in the '80s, like Raiders of Lost Ark, right? Like yeah, the whole scene with yeah. Harrison Ford on the uh, on the boat, right, where Karen Allen's like taking care of his wounds, and he talks about well, it's not the years. John McClane doesn't have a Karen Allen to take and that's, care that's of the his issue. wounds. That's exactly it, right? So he he's he's that vulnerable action hero, which was like this kind of like anti invulnerable James Bond type, right? But then oh, also right. Rambo in First Blood was very much this underdog character too. Yeah. It wasn't until First Blood Part Two where he became this like superhero. superhero. Yeah. And then by Part Three, he's an invincible army, right? <laughs> right. Yes. And yes. so but that's, that was, the, but that's where what we an were odd con exactly right. What an odd contrast that was, right? Because that was also the era of like Running Man, Terminator would already come yeah. out, right? Yeah. But to have that paired, that must have been so jarring, going from like this like invincible action hero to a vulnerable. Yeah. For, from the way we're used to seeing it to some new way of doing it. And in how many films after Die Hard ripped off Die Hard? You know, the same kind of character. The wisecracking guy up against all odds. A lot of explosions and, and, and demolition and... I guess I mean, it was like I guess Die Hard in a plane, Die Hard on a plane, Air Force One, Die Hard on a boat, Under yeah. Siege, Die Hard yes. on a bus, uh, Speed. So they have tons of those, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And it, but he could even that like that did burn out, right? I mean, like it, he did other Die Hards later. You know, it did become a franchise. Yeah, um, of course. But uh, but Willis's kind of charm and action hero status kind of waned at a certain point. I don't know. That's getting beyond. Like it's. Getting back to this film, it's always fun to have a reason to revisit it. And for me, in, in years past, that has become the Christmas connection. Uh, it, it, it's it's a, one of the reasons we thought to pair it with this film. Uh, because this is a film that's set on Christmas Eve, just like Violent Night, which we, we uh, were talking about in the first half. Uh, it, it is a film where the very... Not just set on Christmas Eve, but during a sort of Christmas party at this office building. Um, and, and there's several different references to Christmas throughout it in terms of music that we hear being played, lines that characters say. Mm -hmm. um, now, that all that said, the film came out originally in July, right? In July 1988 here in the States. So not like a typical Christmas movie, right? It doesn't, it doesn't typically do that. But over the years, it's obviously it's become part of this debate about okay, this great action film that everybody loves. It's universally praised. I mean, th there are detractors, but generally, critics think that this is one of those exemplary, ex you know, exemplary moments in action filmmaking where you were able to have the right combination of things that elevated it from some of that more pedestrian fare that you're talking about joe that kind of settled in in the 80s where like those you know third fourth iterations of the schwarzenegger stallone seagal films are coming along and they're feeling like it's just treading water and now we just have these supermen all out there well instead let's have this kind of vulnerable guy who's also kind of quirky and funny and ha has this thing so it gave this new life to the genre but now it's being thought of, I think, more and more, and correct me if I'm wrong, as this kind of, you know, Christmas film, this kind of non-traditional anti-Christmas Christmas movie. And, you know, in fact, when I watched it last year, it was at the prompting of my then 11, almost 12-year-old daughter. She's about to turn 13 now. When she came home from school one day and asked me, hey, it's Christmas, should we watch Die Hard? And 
I I asked her why why would you think that? And she said because all of her friends at school are talking about how Die Hard is a Christmas movie and they you know blah 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 and so several of her friends had seen it. And so it was something that I'm like, well, we can watch it and and we can decide is this a Christmas movie? Did you so, watch it with her? We did. Yeah. God, you're a yeah. fantastic father. <laughs> yeah. You're a good father. It you know the language obviously is probably in the violence. Although I don't I think the the glass and the feet that that's pretty brutal. Um, but a lot of it is more like distant explosions. And what about the Hart Bachner scene? Yeah, where he's like snorting? yeah. They're, they're choking with a chain. There, there's there's stuff it's in just there. Just him getting beat up. Yeah, but and because he's not a Schwarzenegger muscle but man, but she's you seen plenty of it. Marvel films and seen people. Oh no, I already said you're a fantastic and, father. Yeah. Stop justifying it. You <laughs> but did I, the but right I'm thing. just saying the main concern for me was language at that point because I'm like I think she can handle the violence. She's yeah. seen enough action in PG-13 settings, but. You know, is is this going to come across as funny or just alarming and scary? And she found it funny. Sure. So. <laughs> we can't steer away from Alan Rickman, who is incredible oh, in this movie. Hans Gruber. And I also think just the... I the, mean, it's almost like all you have to do is say Hans Gruber, and people know exactly mm-hmm. the vibe you're talking about. There's a Christmas Advent thing that's a tower and you move Hans Gruber falling down the side of the building every single day. I saw Oh, wow. I didn't see that. I almost bought it immediately. Oh. I did. Um, but the other thing is, I think, like for me, like, script-wise again, the complicated, but written, contrived, complicated nature of the plot that they are doing. The idea that not only is Hans Gruber one step ahead of the cops and the FBI, but he always stays one step ahead of the audience. You don't know how it's going to work out. Yeah. Um, they they need this code. They shoot the only guy that has it. Now what are they going to do? The the quarterback is toast guy uh, says, I'm going to need a miracle. And the script delivers the miracle that they need. The FBI cutting off the power to the building un- yeah. unknowingly that they're cutting the power to the this vault. Yeah. Um, the idea that uh, he has to go, they need detonators, but we don't know why they need detonators. And then we learn why they need detonators and can Bruce Willis then foil, like, can he get ahead of the yeah. plot that they're trying to do without getting shot by the FBI who don't do think that it's all clockwork. Such a fantastic script. You, the you, script really is, to me, I think the star of this film. Yeah, I mean, it, it is so much about the dialogue here, about the people delivering it as well. I mean, Willis and Rickman bring their A-games and are doing these lines as mo- as much justice as they could ever be given. You know, they, they're delivering them with full uh, emphasis. And I think even Bonnie Bedelia, right? Like, the, I, I, what's, oh God, I was gonna write it down. There was a line that she kind of shouts out at some point that I was just like, oh yeah, that's a perfect, and she just had the right energy behind it. It was all, it, it's a, it is a case of like a really well, curated script i'll say curated because i feel like this is one that went through many passes by by many you know sort of doctors mm-hmm. um getting to the right actors at the right time to be able to put this together with with the right kind of action cinematography i mean th- this is a film that is a spectacle to behold especially if you ever see it on the big screen and i've only done that once because i didn't see it in its original theatrical run like you did joe but I did years later. I can't remember what it was showing for, but I think there was an action film series when I was living in Chicago, and I ended up going to see it. And it was so much fun to see as that sort of big screen experience in a way that uh, seeing it on the small screen had never quite done for me. 
I mean, for a movie that takes place in a uh, skyscraper, like the widescreen cinematography just has wonders in that film. And mm. it's the same cinematographer. Um, it's a guy who directed uh, Blade, no, excuse me, Twister and... John, uh, John that's DeBond. right. Yeah, John DeBond and, and Speed, right? Yep. And yet, yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> he liked the concept. He loved the concept. <laughs> oh, I'm not taking anything away from these one generation away. I think Under Siege is a fun movie. I think Speed's a fun movie. And what was the other one you... Uh, uh, Twister. No, oh, the... Um, under Siege, Speed, on the train, and then uh, on the bus. Under Siege, and uh, you've had too much Hoth chocolate. I've had too much Hoth chocolate. That's all right. Well, Die Hard in an airport is Die Hard too, but then you have uh, all those riffs on like Die Hard in a blank. Yeah, right. And that went on right. Executive most of the 90s. decision. Oh no, uh, there was Die Hard in the White House with those two Air Force uh, One. Oh, Air Force One. Oh, Air Force One. Yes. Die Hard. Yeah, yeah. That's then there was the White House ones, ones in 2012 as well. Or Get off my plane! Oh, shut up. <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it's. I think a case where you have all of these great ingredients coming in and it really kind of set the tone for a lot of the action that came in the 90s yeah. with, with with what it was doing. Um, this is one that, you know, the, the, anybody who, who really loves action cinema is going to love this film. It's going to find stuff that they like about it, even if they have misgivings about some of the, you know, again, some of the humor of it or whatever. Um, what is the humor that you're referring to a thing? I just mean the glibness of it. And like, you know, I think there are some people who like a, an action film to be a, a bit more serious minded, a bit more. And, I'm, and that's that's a rare action fan. But there are those out there who are who are much more. They want it played straight and they don't like the idea of this, like, um, wisecracking. Come to the coast. They said it would be fun. <laughs> who are you talking to? Yeah. <laughs> um, but. But getting back to the Christmas film element of this, right? This is why we're talking about this film. How do you guys feel about this film? Is this a film that you associate with Christmas at all? I feel like, Joe, you have such an attachment to when it was released. It, it probably feels a little far removed from I Christmas. I don't think that the Christmas mattered when it came out. You're right. It was in July. I think I did this double feature on or around my birthday. Uh, but over time, TBS has shown it at Christmas so often that I think that's the case that's made for it. Mm -hmm. It has become a Christmas movie. It's got all the Christmas elements. It's got not all the Christmas elements. Santa Claus doesn't show up and whoop ass, but it's got, <laughs> it's happening during Christmas. It's, it's like you said, it's like you said at the first half. It's a dysfunctional family. It's a family that's having a trouble that it gets brought back together. It's by the, the anti-Christmas Christmas movie that you put between It's a Wonderful Life and Miracle on whatever street that miracle occurred on. 34. That's yeah. right. So, so this has a place in the Christmas uh, to me. To Christmas me, of course, yes, yeah, of course. How do you feel, Jim? All right, I was just looking up um, a couple of movies that are Christmas movies not released at the Christmas season. All right, and I wanted because I'm wondering why would Fox release this movie in July? That's obviously set at Christmas. Yeah, a year and a half before, in March of 1987, was another. Um, I think it might have been the same producing team, but it was a Lethal Weapon, also set at Christmas time, right? Like most of uh, Shane oh, Black's right. films. The original Lethal Weapon set at Christmas. Yeah, because most... remember there's a Christmas tree lot scene where... They... Yeah, yeah, you're right. And then Shane Black's other films, like The Nice Guys, also released in June. Yeah. Um, and uh, Batman Returns in 92, released in June. And then I had one more. Uh, oh, Iron Man 3 released in May. Okay. So you do have a number of these movies released well before the Christmas season. And I wonder if it's partly to like sell like the home video, like release when Ooh. it comes out months later. Right. Cause that would have been like Die Hard in 88. They, that would have been right when they were starting to really think about that yes. in a serious way. Cause that would certainly the case. That would certainly be the case with like Iron Man three. So it could like be 
probably pushed for like yeah. whatever Black Friday yes. sales or something, yes. right? Certainly in the case of Batman Returns. I think you're on something, Jim. But I that's think that's, <laughs> that might be why. That might be why. But I just it's, wonder, it's a curious thing to make a movie set the holidays because it's not like Halloween where those movies came used to be coming out in like August in order to get like the runway to go up until Halloween, right? Instead right. of having like a very short like amount of time to play. Right. So I wonder if it's partly related to the home video stuff. Season two, episode six of Ted Lasso, the infamous Christmas episode, didn't come out near Christmas at go. all. Well, that's true. That's yeah, true. I'm going to watch it every Christmas now. Though. It's fantastic. <laughs> Are you a Ted Lasso guy? I am not. I'm oh. sorry. Have you, tried, you tried it and didn't like it, or you haven't tried it yet? I tried multiple episodes, I promise. Oh, well, okay. that. Well, we, we, hey, Jim, it's been so fun having you here. Tenure denied. and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a Ted Lasso guy. Yeah, we, 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 we went in on that one. Uh, we, we can talk after hours about it. Uh where I'm left with Die Hard is I'm glad to hear we're all kind of in agreement. Like, we can put this film where it belongs. Sure. That, that, you know, this is a film that's set during Christmas. If people want to watch this at Christmas, God love them. Like, it, it, enjoy yourselves, folks. This is a film set during Christmas time. There's plenty of Christmas references in there for you. Um, but it's also a straight up great action film that is absolutely seminal in the genre in terms of what it laid the groundwork for mm -hmm. um and again i made reference to you know as much as i over the years um my esteem for bruce willis probably dropped after this point to a certain extent although it had it had moments where it rose back up right the pulp fiction moment for me and color the, of know. night probably rose back up too color of night i don't what, what, what am i you see his wiener oh yeah. <laughs> i'm sorry Bad <laughs> i missed that one yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, um, you know, with, with the more recent news this past year of where he's gone, I feel for the guy. I, I it's sad that um, for anybody to lose well, Unbreakable. I mean, there, there, he had oh yeah, that no, was a those, brilliant that movie. was a moment. He had a good run in like the early two thousands, like post six sense, like that Shyamalan era, like really That's revived a good point. it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, no, there, the, you know, it isn't just a, a single trajectory. There See, is a Bruce Willis did, I think, better than Stallone and 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 Schwarzenegger when everyone. Action careers expired. Because right. God damn it, how many times can I see kind of the same thing over and over again? I think you're right, at least for me as yeah. a film goer, and I have a feeling for you guys. I do think maybe if we're looking at it at pure box office in terms of the money they've made, maybe Stallone has done better just because Stallone has had that like late career creed expendables blah 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 you know like he he's really kind of resurged in the last decade in a way that i never would have thought he had he would have had the capacity to and those films made some decent money at the box office yeah. versus willis i do think at a certain point kind of petered out into mid-grade i mean looper is one that that i'll uh point to that i really enjoyed sure. that we did for the podcast yeah. you know that Great so film. he would get these kind of interesting projects from time to time that I have to imagine it was because he was willing to do that or he saw something in them because they weren't necessarily going to be blockbusters necessarily. Um, so I'll give him a lot of credit for that. Uh, and, and, and again, it just kind of makes it a little sadder when I watch it. And I think like, oh, man, he's, you know, he's at a point in his career or his life that he, he really can't do the gig anymore. It's like with Jack Nicholson, you know, like guys who I think had to bow out at a time where they might not have otherwise just because – you know, mentally or physically, they can't go on. That, mm -hmm. That's a, and that sad. was that same era, like right when Looper came out. That was like the last kind of hurrah for Bruce Willis, like quality. I, films, I think you're right. right. Like that was the same year as uh, Moonrise Kingdom with, mm. from Wes Anderson, right? 
And then Beautiful, after, beautiful that, little performance from him. There. But that was like the same year he also did like the VOD movie with uh, 50 Cent. And like he started doing more of those kind of films, right? Yeah. And then eventually doing like his Death Wish remake and then whatever else he's yeah. been doing since. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's sad to see that trajectory. Yeah. Well, but you, you'll you always have Die Hard. You'll always have some of these other great ones that he's Sixth Sense, you know, w- w- that, that he was involved in. Um, when I think about Die Hard, I don't have to think about Christmas. But when I think about Christmas, Die Hard can be part of that. But that's how I'll put it. All right. Um, no one's going to argue with you, David. Well, you know, some people will. Some, <laughs> some people there. definitely will. Um, we'll, we'll see on the Discord. Uh, will people agree with me on this hot chocolate? Hoth chocolate. I'm, I'm not even going to start with my thoughts on this. I kind of gave you what I was thinking about uh-huh. with the aroma. I'm curious to hear one of you guys what you think about this as you've uh, sipped on it during the second half. I forgot about the middle taste. I think the 11 uh, whatever percent kind of helped with that, right? Um, it was it was good. I mean, I didn't taste the chocolate. That yeah. never really came through. I think something's wrong with this beer. I do too, and, and, and I, I don't, don't think what, it's I, bad. I, I, I don't was... think it's undrinkable. Like you know, right. it, it's not that I'm sipping it. and I'm like, because I after hours, folks, I will talk candidly about a beer that I sipped the other day. Oh I, boy tried to get out of my life and it came I, I back I was there me. and I saw the yep. faces that you made <laughs> um, twice but uh, th- this beer it just it should I mean it's fairly easy in an imperial stout to nail a chocolatey flavor you know what I mean just through the roasted malt that should be there and there's something off about this like a little bit more of an acidic thing that kind of zings through the center of it like when I'm taking a sip that makes it it i i think it is kind of the metallicness that i was that i was smelling on the nose that it kind of just makes it feel it's not chocolatey it it doesn't have that and my god if you're calling it hoth chocolate and you're putting you know that mug with the splashing hot chocolate and there's you know the death star as a marshmallow going into it um no that's not the death star is that is that hoth it's supposed to be hoth i think yeah it's a planet hoth i apologize my apologies. Um, but going in there as a marshmallow kind of dip, I want it to be rich and decadent, chocolatey, marshmallowy. Um, you said it poured like motor oil, Joe, and yeah. I kind of agree in visual terms. But to me, the body was actually kind of thin on this once once I actually was sipping on it. it. It isn't a total disappointment, but I think something is wrong with this beer. I I have a feeling that if I was drinking this closer to when it was canned, it would be a better beer. Yeah, so, something happened to this beer. I was looking up some reviews while y'all were uh, prattling on about Die yeah. Hard after I had given you know, <laughs> the definitive take. No, I'm kidding. Uh, and there are a lot of reviews of deep dark ch- de- chocolate decadence, uh, yeah. the marshmallow hints, blah, blah, blah. And I did not get any of that. That metallic taste set me off so much on those first couple of sips that I kind of, mm. I didn't even finish my well, four or so ounces. That I, I apologize that I to you, you guys. You have nothing to apologize well, for. I just feel, and I apologize to Turning Point because I feel like that's unfair. You, you're not supposed to hold on to your cans for It is a rare months. time that you have two 16-ounce cans at the table and we did not even open the second you're right. one. So That is rare. Something about this beer we didn't like. But I'm not blaming... 
I don't know where you put the blame. The buck stopped somewhere. Tur- something happened to that can of beer that we opened. Yeah. Do you want to open the second one and see? Maybe what after hours, just to, to find okay, out. Okay. Out of yeah. curiosity, because yeah. are you going to be in a rush to open that if you saved no. it for a little while longer? <laughs> Stay <laughs> tuned for better. after hours because we're going to open that second one and maybe we had a completely different oh, what experience. If it, what I'm, if that one is it, uh, perfect? Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm crossing let's, my fingers. Let's hope for that. Yeah. Um, I'm going to open it. It's going to be beautiful. I'm going to say, yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't you say? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. What a a fun movie that is. Um, So this was a a great uh, pairing, I think, especially from the standpoint of I I like – as I said earlier, I like that there are these films that exist that can be these kind of palate cleansers during the holiday season because it can get oppressive. It's – you know, I'm – again – I'll watch It's a Wonderful Life this year. It's something that I do. I'll, I will watch um, plenty of Christmas specials. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is, is up there for me. Uh, Charlie Brown Christmas, as much as I am not, I'm, I'm very much a secularist, folks, if, if you didn't know from listening to the podcast long enough. Um, but I still can go with that vibe for whatever. It's the Vince Guaraldi, I think, actually. This is when I make a crack about your Christmas tree, but I've seen your Christmas tree on the way in, and it's beautiful. Oh, thanks. <laughs> so the, all, all that said, like, I will buy into the season, and I will do a lot of the things. Yeah. But it's kind of nice to have these sort of, you know, slightly yeah. counter-programming uh, pieces that you can kind of fit in there from time to time that make it just, oh, you know, like... Spice it up a little bit. Give you some contrast. I have put on my calendar that when all the kids are here, all the ones that will be here for Christmas, we will be watching It's a Wonderful Life. We do it every year, and I will be crying. <laughs> you you write that down on the agenda? Yeah. <laughs> Joe will cry. Start Dad is crying. crying. Make fun. No, it's just for me. Just for me. Oh, okay. Because I cry Aww. in that movie every time I see it. Yeah. You're a sentimental bastard. Well, for that film, for whatever reason. <laughs> Anyway, but the best thing about Beer and Movie is the conversation that we're about to have over at uh, our After Hours. And you throw a few bucks in the jar, and we appreciate that, and it helps us buy a microphone errantly when we need to from time to time. You do that at patreon.com slash Podcast, and you get a free – well, yeah, it's not free at all, is it? You get a bonus episode every single week. But, David, as you said earlier in the episode, this week's will be free for all. That's right. Uh, but you, that's not everywhere. We, we're everywhere. We're at facebook.com slash beer and a movie, Texas, Instagram at beer and a movie, Twitter at beer movie show. And then of course that discord that I talked about earlier, just go to discord and type in beer and a movie. And then maybe the conversation continues. You'll find it and know that when you're at all these platforms, discord, uh, disregarded, uh, before you leave, rate us, man. It really helps us. Leave that review. We know you're going to make it five stars. We need that algorithm, David. Say it with me to do what it do. David, you didn't say it with me because it's going to put it out there in front of more people. But you have just experienced another violent new episode of Beer in a Movie. Until next time. Thank you for believing in me, for reminding me Christmas still matters, that I still matter. Thank you.